No es Hey. Hey, my name is Michael Rosso, and welcome to the Alternative Cinema Podcast. The podcast for people who like ultra low budget, super creepy and weird oddball movies. And I'm sitting in the studio with no stranger <laughs> no stranger to AC podcast listeners. Mr. Henrik Kudo. Hey, everybody. How you doing? And I'm thrilled to be here. It's August 1st, 2014. It's part of the uh, AC website launch, alternativecinema.com. Very excited. We have a, a, a brand new website into the new digital age we go. It's right into, it's right into the 2000, the 2000, two aughts. <laughs> the two aughts, two aught nine, two aught ten. Well, that's not how it works, is it? I don't know. I, I wasn't around the original aughts, so. I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> Uh, on today's show, we're going to be reading some of your listener letters. That's right, your listener letters. We're going to be listening to some upcoming alternative cinema news. And I'm going to be chit-chatting with Henrik Kudo about ultra-low-budget movie making. But I would like to start the podcast by saying that, you know, folks out there listening, I would like you to know that the reason that the podcast is here, the reason you're listening to it right now is because uh, I'm really at your service. I'm here for you the low-budget filmmaker or low-budget film watcher. You know, I'm not here to hear me talk. <laughs> it's true, he's not even wearing headphones. So if you reserve for that, he'd be wearing headphones. Exactly. I bet. Oh, man, I sound really good. That's what I do when I, when right. I record. Of course you do. Oh, yeah. You know, I started my career, for those who, uh, those of you who don't know, uh, I am a filmmaker, a uh, uh, photographer, and foremost a producer of low-budget independent feature films. And, you know, I've been through the whole phase of making movies, the ups and downs, mostly downs, <laughs> and I branched off, and, and now I run the Film Photography Project, which is a website and online community for people who shoot traditional film in their cameras. And that is what I spend most of my time doing. And the reason I'm here doing the AC podcast is for you folks out there. And the reason that any podcast that I produce continues is based upon the listenership and the interaction between the listener and us the podcast we need to hear from you of what's on your mind are you going to make a movie are you thinking about making a movie have you made a movie and i'm here to talk you down <laughs> get you off that ledge yes get you off that ledge it could be a high ego ledge you know it could be as many ledges you could be on and we want to get you off the ledge so you don't jump. <laughs> because that could be catastrophic to your health. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, I tr I'm, and I'm very sincere about that. You could write to us, podcast at alternativecinema.com. And uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to, have, to be here back at the AC Podcast Studio, which is now the FPP Studio, but we can call it the AC Podcast Studio. No one will know. Right now, it is. Damn it. Right. <laughs> so that's what's on the show today. And we'll be right back with the show. This program is brought to you by Alternative Cinema, your online source for independent DVDs and video dedicated to the enjoyment of independent and underground movies that range from the brilliant to the bizarre and everything in between. AlternativeCinema.com
the great Carter Stevens, which After Our Cinema releases most of the Carter Stevens films from the 1970s. There's a few volumes out. They're all really awesome. They really capture the essence of the 1970s grindhouse, like such titles like Punk Rock, Pleasure Palace, Teenage Twins. If you go to Indiegogo, if you go to Google and type in Indiegogo, The Squad, or Indiegogo, The Squad, Carter Stevens, you'll see that Carter is doing a crowdfunding project. He's trying to raise money to make a softcore sex comedy called The Squad, which I was fortunate enough to read the script. It's really awesome, and I think it's going to be a really awesome movie. So, folks out there listening, if you want to check it out, and if you're a fan of Carter's, check out the site and help get this movie made. And more power to Carter Stevens. And I'm looking forward to seeing The Squad when it's finished. Hey, we're back. Hey, just a quick few emails. Uh, this is from Michael Costa. He says, and this is way back in January of 2013. <laughs> A little while ago. A little while ago. And the heading is AC Podcast MIA. Just curious what happened to the AC Podcast. I miss it. For those of you who are like, hey, you guys are back. Oh, this guy says, fuck yes, you're back. <laughs> <laughs> Missed you guys. Please don't go away ever. I mean it. That's from uh, Thumbin' Radio. T-H-U-M-B-I-N-R-A-D-I-O. It says vintage country from the 1900s to the 1970s. Which is pretty awesome. Uh, personally, I'm a big Mike Nesmith fan. I don't know if that's considered country. Uh, Mr. Thumb and Radio. There's no name. Oh, Mike. The guy's name's Mike. Huh? Mike from Thumb and Radio. Maybe it is Mike Nesmith. But it is. Yeah, that'd be interesting. But it's interesting because when you hear about country music, it really does go back that far. Oh, yeah. It's not like you'd be like, you know. British pop, yes, 1966 to, you know, it's like. I have told you many times. Love is not a game. It has a wonderful history, country music. Playing your country music from the moment it could be recorded. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we took a break while the uh, website is being revamped. And um, we're not yet on a podcast schedule, but I'm going to try my darndest to keep, keep it interesting. As long as I keep hearing from you folks of what's going on in your lives oh, yeah. in your B-movie your cool B-movie life, whatever that might be. <laughs> My wicked, awesome B-movie life. Uh, here's a letter from Amber Jolliffe, and uh, it's one of many letters, and I want everyone to know that sent letters, uh, because the last few podcasts, we had uh, William Hellfire and Aaron Russ on, <laughs> talking about their Indiegogo campaign for Upside Down Cross. I want you to know that I've, all your letters have been forwarded to William, who's working on his movie. The movie's not out yet, so... If you contributed to his Indiegogo, you may be wondering, you know, where's my shit? Yeah, well, it's so. a fair thing to wonder. By the way, as of this taping, not certainly as of the air date, but um, I did check out the Kickstarter for um, I'm Making Potato Salad. Which is excellent. They're up to $60,000. That's perfect. One dollar of that is mine. Oh, is it really? Oh, yeah. I couldn't not. What do you get for a dollar? Just to mention. Uh, I just get, uh, he will say my name out loud while he's making potato salad, which is going to be a heavy, tall order because now he's got like 9000 Backers. He's from Columbus, Ohio. I'm gonna. I might upgrade my backing so that I can go to his potato salad party because it's like an hour away from me. That's awesome. Well, here's a letter from Jason Gould Scout. Do you know Jason? I 
Not sure I know Jason. It says, director and creator of The Velvet Coffin. Ooh. Uh, it says, Mike, heard you mention my last email on the, ace, on the uh, last podcast. Thanks, man. I've been listening to the older ones to get caught up and noticed you mentioned uh, the offer to send out the AC catalog for those who's, who request it. Would love to have a copy. Well, Jason, I will have you know that I will walk this pers- letter personally over to Justin, who will mail you out a uh, catalog. You have been waiting patiently since November 19th, 2013. Well, it'll be a different catalog. You- yes, it will. Yeah. He should feel special. I would never imagine you'd walk it over. I figured you were going to fold his letter into a paper airplane and just try to throw it to Justin. No, no, no. Which is really far, by the way. Uh, I know... Uh, since I last messaged you... Yeah, don't message me. There be- <laughs> e- email me. There have been a little addition to the show we're working on. The cast and the crew members thought it would be cool if I introduced each episode. So now I'm a horror host. That's cool. In your podcast, you told people to say a little about themselves. So wanted to bore you with some details. I've been a fan of the movie since I was a little kid. I started watching the credits just to learn about who the actors were. From there, as I got older, I became interested in how things were made. I'm a huge fan of gag reels. So when I buy movies on DVD, the first thing I will look at are what kind of special features are on them. Based my purchases on that, actually, and will sometimes buy new copies of movies when they're re-released if they have bonus content. I'm a long-time sci-fi fan, and it wasn't until later that I came to the heart. I took my love of the virus, and what I remember of Bob Wilkins' creatures features. That's how I came up with our website, The Velvet Coffin. I decided to film it like a TV show from the 60s in black and white, similar to The Addams Family. We're still in pre-production, but managed to release a teaser. Thanks again for such a good podcast. It really inspired me hearing the stories and interviews with people sharing their experiences in making a movie. I'm including my mailing address for the catalog. I have to make sure I put that right over here. Right on top of one of your film film photography things. Absolutely. Keeps you from forgetting it. Oh, wait a minute. I was going to switch. That's why I brought that lens over. I was going to... Well, what's been going on? What's exciting? I guess it's time for alternative cinema news. Uh, sure. I could talk about the upcoming releases for alternative cinema. First up will be My Fair Zombie. See what horror fans are raving about this August 26th, 2014, when Camp releases My Fair Zombie to DVD and digital platforms. Directed by Brett Kelly from The Bone Setter and Kingdom of the Vampire, My Fair Zombie is a gorgeous-looking zombie classic mashup you and all the kids will enjoy. And you know Brett Kelly? I do know Brett. Brett's a good guy. He is a good guy. And uh, My Fair Zombie's a really fun movie. It really is. It's an awesome movie. And it, it sits right up there with like uh, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. I don't know if you've seen it's a book. Right. Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. So it's kind of this cool idea of doing like uh, classic literature mashups or classic, in this case, kind of classic theater mashups, but with a you know, horror comedy bent. I really enjoyed it. So. It's awesome and has amazing artwork and an awesome trailer, too. Then we've got Animosity screening at the Fantasia Film Festival. Bloody Earth Films' uh, September 9th new release, Animosity, acquired at the 2013 Buffalo Dreams Fantastic Film Festival, will premiere at the prestigious Fantasia Film Festival in Montreal, Canada. The exact date is to be determined, but the festival runs from July 17th through August 4th, 2014. More information can be found at www.fantasiafestival.com. 
What's this about Murder Drome? Murder Drome? You mean the Australian uh, uh, roller derby movie? Yeah. I got a real kick out of Murder Drome, so I'll tell you a little bit about it, and then I can talk about what I think about it. But Murder Drome is coming September 9th, 2014, which is the day before my birthday. Yeah. Camp Motion Pictures will release the roller derby extravaganza from Down Under, Murder Drome, to DVD and digital channels September 9th. Select U.S. and Canada roller derby teams to screen the film as fundraisers. See AC's Facebook for more information. So if you go to Facebook and type in Alternative Cinema, mm-hmm. the... Facebook page will the Facebook page the AC page will come up yeah the, the, the alternative, alternative cinema, cinema page Camp Motion Pictures page I yes what do you know about roller derby uh, I, we actually we have a the Gem City I believe they're called the Gem City uh, Roller Girls in Dayton Ohio so we have a roller derby team that, they'd probably uh, want to watch this they would definitely get a kick out of it I mean roller derby's kind of coming back because it's kind of a little bit vintage but a little bit not anymore yeah. um, I've known a lot of roller derby people uh, my favorite thing about roller derby is the names. Have you, uh, you ever... No. I knew a girl who roller derbied under the name... The, my favorite name was Maltov Cocktease. Oh, is that right? Was her... It's kind of dirty. <laughs> it's kind of dirty, but it's also pretty brilliant. But I never forgot that when I heard that name. But Murder Drome, I'm kind of surprised there wasn't a, uh, like a roller derby horror movie already. Because they're pretty popular. And apparently it's popular in Australia. I would agree, yes. So, but it's a really fun movie. It's got ridiculous special effects. A uh, ton of gore. Um, you know, it's, I would say it's 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 almost exploitation, Australian exploitation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, I highly recommend people check it out on September 9th. Crikey, crikey, dingo! What else is going on? Uh, Night terrors is what's going on. You know, here in the studio, you you know, we walked through the uh, alternative cinema offices and shipping department and warehouse, and you saw uh, Night Terrors on our. A preview monitor. Yeah, you were QCing the DVD, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. Quality control. Yeah, and you were like, whoa, man, what's this? Yeah, I hadn't heard about it yet. What is it about? It looks really cool. This hilarious, gory, and amazing love letter to VHS anthologies will be released by Camp November 25th, 2014, directed by Jason Zink and Alex Lukens, starring Richard Richard Hackle, Calvin Mann, and Alex Lukens. Wicked Channel Review Site calls it Hardcore on the Gore and a throwback to the VHS age of horror anthologies. The cover has a very much a uh, Tales from the Crypt-esque... Like, uh, the original, the 1972. Yeah, yeah. Kind of, yeah there is a Santa on the yeah. cover. And, uh, ooh, you know, and you, since you mentioned Tales from the Crypt, I'm pr- I'm, I would almost guarantee AC will be carrying that uh, Blu-ray double feature of Tales from the Crypt and Vault of Horror that uh, Scream Factory's putting out, probably. You're damn right. So, uh, you know, when that comes out, think about going to AlternativeCinema.com and getting a copy of that. See what I did there? That wasn't even on the copy. It's not even on the copy. That was just me. Do you know anything about any extras? On the Tales from the Crypt, yeah. uh, I, I do not know anything about the extras, but I do know Vault of Horror will finally be uncut in high definition in a proper transfer. Why it was cut and every, was cut. every other release was every, cut? Every other release except for like overseas ones, but then the transfer was crap. Right. So Because I've seen the crappy transfer one, but like the, with, you know, with the EC Comics-based stuff, it's all about the visual punch. Mm-hmm. And they would lessen the punch because I mean the punch is like you see the the reveal the gruesome reveal at the end and that's what sticks with you that's how they end each segment mm-hmm. and because they were like trimming down the gore you lose that that hit <laughs> so um, I highly recommend you go to alternativecinema.com to get your uh, favorite uh, Shout Factory Scream Factory titles uh, like the upcoming Tales from the Crypt Vault of Horror which I have no clue when it's being released because this is off the top of my head. <laughs> Well, thank you. You have your web thing there. Oh, I mean, I could, I could pull it up, but uh, they may not have announced a date yet. Okay. 
But uh, but yeah, so check out Night Terrors if you're uh, if you love anthologies. Should, should I segue into that? I, I I just wrapped an anthology for you. Oh, we're gonna talk. To okay, you. we can talk. Yeah. about <laughs> I, I like to read the next one. All right, this is pretty exciting because you know most people think of Ed Wood as that sort of like cuddly, happy-go-lucky, bumbling bad filmmaker, as portrayed by Johnny Depp in the uh, Tim Burton film. Yeah, the, Ed Wood. That was really a homogenized, really homogenized. Ed Wood. The guy was kind of a nightmare. I did not. I did not know Ed Wood. I know Conrad Brooks. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't know Conrad Brooks? But Ed Wood, after he made all the films that are portrayed in uh, the Ed Wood film, the Tim Burton film, he went on to make some really, really ultra low budget, sleazy. Um, I guess you'd call it uh, shoebox theater movies. When I say shoebox theaters, these were basically, you had the grindhouses that played all the exploitation films and porno, but then you had the much smaller theaters who, that played 16 millimeter. They were storefront theaters. There was these little, dinky storefront theaters, and there were a number of independent filmmakers that cranked out 16 millimeter fare for these crappier theaters ed wood being one of them and after our cinema is releasing the lost ed wood film the young marrieds in a three film collection called ed wood's dirty movies <laughs> ed wood's dirty movies I mean, that's what we, that's what we in the in the business call a concept title it is. You it's, know everything you need to know. It's it's coming out on November 11th, 2014. First of all, the three movies uh, on the DVD are The Young Marrieds, The Nymphocycler, and third feature on the disc, Shot on Location. And these are all ultra-rare films. They are all uncut to my knowledge. And, um, I mean, this is the first time they will be seen. And I'm happy to say the Anthology Film Archives in New York City will be having an Ed Wood retrospect. The series is running from September 8th to September 13th at the uh, Anthology Film Archives in New York City. And you can go to anthologyfilmarchives.org to find additional information on that uh, festival. And the Young Marrieds was thought to be lost completely, right? right? So, yeah, it was completely lost. It was found up in Canada by Demetrius Otis okay. in an old theater. So this is a pretty cool uh, triple feature. It's coming out later in the year. I think I think that a lot of people are going to be interested in this. Well, sure. I mean, it's a piece of history. Yeah. You know, Ed Wood became a household name thanks to the Ed Wood movie. So uh, why wouldn't people want to learn a little bit more about it? It's, uh, it's very exciting. And now his name will be further tarnished. <laughs> oh, it couldn't be more tarnished. Okay. I mean, <laughs> tell me about the uh, Call Girl of Cthulhu. What's going on with that? Uh, Chris Lamartinez, Call yeah. Girl of Cthulhu. Well, it's screening Thursday, August 14th. Let's see. Thursday, August 14th, 2014. Chris Lamartinez's newest film, Call, Gr- Call Girl of Cthulhu, or Thulu, depending on your, uh, how you pronounce it, how you want to pronounce it, which was called the best title of the year by Fangoria and a raunchy, rollicking salute to. The Eldrick Mythos by Alamo Drafthouse Yonkers will screen at, guess where? The Alamo Drafthouse in Yonkers, New York. Introduced by Michael Gingold with cast and crew in attendance, Call Girl of Cthulhu premiered at the Maryland Film Festival and continues its festival and theatrical run before it's released to DVD and digital channels by Camp Motion Pictures in 2015. I'm looking forward to it. I backed this movie on Kickstarter. Oh, that's awesome. I did. Chris Lamartine and I go back a long way. Uh, he may hide that, but I am very open about it. 
And uh, when I see Chris, which is you know a few times a year, I'll ask him such questions as, "Chris, did I produce this film?" I say, "Yes, you did, Mike." I'm like, "Great." Mike does say things like that to yes. you when you work with him. Yes, but uh, no. If you're uh, if you're in and around the New York area or near Yonkers, you know you should uh, go check it out at the Alamo Draft House Yonkers. I, I I'm very excited about this screening. You'll be in atten- attendance, right? I will be in attendance. Yes. So that's August fourteenth, two thousand fourteen, at the Alamo Draft House Yonkers Call Girl of Cthulhu. You should really check it out before it hits DVD and video on demand next year. What about fan shows? You're a fan show goer, right? I enjoy fan shows. What's uh, what's coming up? Ooh, this is kind of near my neck of the woods. Director Jacob Ennis from Stash Red River and the upcoming Kill Granny Kill will be uh, representing alternative cinema at two upcoming fan shows in Kentucky. Fright Night, uh, August 1st through 3rd in Lexington, Kentucky, and Scarefest, September 12th through 14th, also in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, for more information, visit FrightNightFilmFest.com and Scarefest.com. Those are pretty good shows. Uh, I live in Ohio, so I live just, uh, I'm, you know, on top of Kentucky. Mm-hmm. No, those should be good shows. So if you're out, uh, you know, more toward the American South, if you're uh, out a little bit toward the Midwest, you know, if you're in Indiana, Ohio, it's probably only three hours away. It's uh, not a bad drive. So you can see Jacob Ennis. He'll sign your copy of Stasher Red River, and you can talk to him about Kill Granny Kill. What else is going on? Join Alternative Cinema at Monster Mania in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, August 15th through 17th for Monster, Monster Mania. Mania. They will be there promoting their new and upcoming releases as well as those for Scream Factory, Blue Underground, Synapse, Video X-Pix, and more. What about Chiller Theater? Chiller? Well, man, we're just... (laughs) We're just going out of control. Writer-director Gregory Lamberson, The Jake Hellman Files, Slime City, and Slime City Massacre, uh, many of the titles to his credit, will appear at this fall's Chiller Theater in Parsippany, New Jersey, from October 24th to 26th to promote his newest release, Dry Bones, which Camp Motion Pictures will release October 14th to DVD and digital platforms. Chiller Theater. You've been there, too? I've done Chiller, I've done Chiller and Monster Mania for AC. Right, right, yeah. right. Uh, Chiller is an incredible show because they get the, uh, they get the guests you just... I mean, they're the place that has, like, they had Leslie Nielsen one time I was there. Like, did you, know, you talk to him? I did not, unfortunately. But, like, that's a huge celebrity to get in there who never does conventions. Right, absolutely. So, I mean, when you go to Chiller, you know you're going to get an experience. And uh, why not add to that experience by top, stopping by the Alternative Cinema booth and meeting Greg Lamberson? What was the last show that you did? Uh, well, that would be Cinema Wasteland. And, and when, when was that? That was in April. Of this uh, year? Yeah. How did that go? Amazingly well. Um, the products we had for sale uh, went over very, very well. I would say that our biggest sellers were like the Scream Factory. Yes. Uh, Blu-rays, people love those. They love what those guys are doing over there. Uh-huh. And uh, I was very happy to represent. So uh, I also sold uh, some of my films like Babysitter Massacre mm-hmm. um, and did very, very well with those. A lot of people were very excited. A lot of people had seen Babysitter Massacre prior from its uh, short run at Blockbuster Video and right. its run on Amazon Prime. So uh, it was a very good show and I'm looking forward to being back in October. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Now, some stuff that's coming up for folks out there listening, uh, there's an interesting series coming out. It's scheduled for next year. Six films from the creator and master of the genre terror, T-E-R-R-I-R, which is a blend of horror and comedy unique to Brazil. And that filmmaker's name is Ivan Cordoso. Uh, he is, has been honored at the international film festivals, including Torino, uh, with work on display at the Museum of Modern Art. Uh, Ivan is a celebrated and all too little known in the U.S. Upcoming releases include, listen to some of these titles, mm-hmm. Secret of the Mummy, The Seven Vampires, Nosferatu in Brazil. Yeah. The Scarlet Scorpion, the Macabre Sarcophagus. How would you pronounce that? The Macabre Sarcophagus. Okay, Sarcophagus. Good. I don't now, know how about this? 
Werewolf in the Amazon, starring Paul Nashi. Mr. Paul Nashi. That's right. Well, that's pretty exciting. That is pretty exciting. No, yeah, I mean, I, that's a really cool... Uh, I think it's, it's going to be a weird and wonderful collection. And this is the first time it's been brought to really to the uh, Ever. U.S. Yes. Well, that's awesome. Yep. So and all six will be uh, released in tw- 2015 from Alternative Cinema. And here is uh, a title that's coming out that's been getting a lot of buzz, a lot of like uh, responses on uh, Facebook when we post about it. It's called America's Deadliest Home Video. I remember America's Deadliest Home Video. Yes. Don't miss the first time to DVD... Can you imagine? First time to DVD. Because yeah, it, it was a huge rental thing, wasn't it? Yes. First time on digital. Of course, it was, came out on VHS. This is the uh, found footage film starring Danny Bonaducci, of course, of the Partridge family. Yes. It's coming to DVD and a limited VHS release from Camp Motion Pictures in association with Josh Schaefer from Lunch Meat Magazine. Ah, yes, Josh Schaefer. You know all about that? Yeah, I've met Josh a few times, mainly at Cinema Wasteland. Oh, is that right? Yeah, he's been there a few times. That's awesome. So that's awesome news. I'm very thrilled. It's exciting. It's cool. And uh, I know folks out there really, really dig releases like that. Absolutely, especially when you're bringing uh, like a VHS mainstay yeah. to DVD for the first time. You know, it allows people to uh, to hold on to it and bringing it to digital platforms so people can rent it now on their Roku box or their Blu-ray player or their smart TV. Right, that's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. Speaking of VHS, you know, I was th- talking to Henrik before, and he got a little chuckle out of the fact that, you know, we talked about, you know, some new TV shows. Like, he's like, you know, I watch Mad Men on Amazon Prime. And I'm like, I'm, wa- I'm like, I watch Mad Men on VHS. <laughs> you see, I don't, re- I don't subscribe to cable currently. So my dad, I'll say to my dad, you know, hey, man, can you tape, you know, this Louie for me? Because <laughs> I've seen every season on cable, but I missed season four. So I'll show up at my parents' house for dinner, and I stop over, and you know my dad will have a stack of tapes, <laughs> because I request, please record it at SP. Yeah, oh yeah, because you got quality is of utmost importance. Because he <laughs> would otherwise record it EP. EP. <laughs> Six hours per tape. Eight hours. Eight hours. Ooh. He has the eight-hour tapes. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, uh, Henrik was quite amused, as I'm sure a lot of you folks are, that here I am watching new seasons of programming on VHS. VHS. Which was not uncommon 30 years ago. Cause even 15 years ago. I mean, because everyone would tape their programs yeah. and then watch it later. Yeah, all, all through the 90s into a little bit of the 2000s, I mean, people would give you tapes. Yeah. Hey, when we come back, stick around. When we come, when we come back, uh, I'm going to be talking about, I'm going to be talking to Henrik about filmmaking and how we got into filmmaking. And uh, I think you'll find it very interesting if you yourself are interested in low-budget filmmaking. Here's, uh, here's some plugs from our two pals. Uh, Greg at KillerReviews.com and our super pal, uh, Noel Scotch Anderson. Ah, Noel. The uh, artist of, of course, the Spider Babe and the Playmate of the Apes comic book. Went over very well at Cinema Wasteland. It did? Yes. It's a cool set. It's a comic book and a DVD. Yeah. And it's like $10. Boom. Bo- exactly. Boom. <laughs> it's like, here, here's 10 Boom. So, less, th- less than a price for a cup of coffee, <laughs> practically. <laughs> We'll be back. Hey, this is Michael Rosso from the Alternative Cinema Podcast, here to tell you about KillerReviews.com. That's right, KillerReviews.com. Greg Dumont, you know, our pal, Greg. KillerReviews.com and the Killer Reviews Podcast. That's right. 
Fans of the AC Podcast will love the Killer Reviews Podcast. KillerReviews.com. Reviews, blogs, a forum, Film Finder, the KR Store, Girls of Horror, The Graveyard, Interview, Articles, Horror Arcade. Should I go on and on and on? If you like cult movies, spooky horror, or girls in bikinis, KillerReviews.com. The podcast, the site, be there. KillerReviews.com. Check it out. Hey, I'm Noel Anderson, cartoonist, radio announcer, and AC podcast wannabe. Now that's just sad. It's sad, and it's pathetic. I know. I've diabolically insinuated myself into the AC family by producing the first ever seduction cinema comic book. Ooh, very sexy. That's right. Playmate of the Apes is now a comic book. For more info on my ridiculous artwork and how it can be used to promote and market your movie, go to GoofRoof.com. GoofRoof.com. Want me to draw you some dirty pictures? GoofRoof.com. You want to see what other filth I've drawn over the years? What a dirty, filthy mind you got. Goofroof.com. Hey, we're back. Hey, I'm very happy to have as my guest Henrik Kudo. Henrik, you've been on the show. You've hosted the show. Yes. You've co hosted the show. Yes. Uh, You've worked for Alternative Cinema. I have. Uh, you're now in Ohio, back in Ohio. Recently, you announced on Facebook that you no longer have a day job and you're going to be making films full time. It's true. Which not too many people can do. It's not easy. <laughs> no, no, it's not. So, um, how, if you could, how did you even get involved with making independent feature films that get released? That's, that's an incredible question. I was very lucky. Uh, you know, I started very young working with video. So I was a volunteer at a cable access station when I was 12 years old. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So what, what would you do? I would uh, shoot things on Super VHS, and then uh, I would edit them deck-to-deck with an Amiga titler graphics program. Okay. So uh, all of my titles had to be added by you know punching up the Amiga as the tape was running. Oh, okay. Um, and was there an edit controller for the oh, tape yeah, decks? Yeah, it, was, it was very pro. Okay. Very pro for the time. Uh, this was like 2000, 2001. Okay. So it was like everything was, there was like one Avid in the building and everybody was kind of like, All right, when are we going to learn that Avid? Like, what is it about? What is that Avid machine? Well, only not to, like only a certain people could touch it? Yeah, it was only staff at that point. Okay. I was a volunteer at the okay. cable access. But eventually, you know, Avid became kind of common and then it moved to Adobe. But anyway, so um, I shot just tons and tons of stuff, which is the most important thing I can recommend anybody do is roll camera a lot. Get lots of material, edit it together, learn what it happens when you edit it together. And uh, don't be afraid of criticism. You know, welcome criticism. I was very lucky because I got I was mentored uh, by Andy Cop, by the late Andy Cop. He was... Uh, working at that cable access station so i mean he would look at my edits and go ah like the door closes and then it opens and then it closes again when you cut to the other angle you know little things all right and i'm a kid you didn't know yeah i didn't know any better you know i had to get the eye for it so that was a a big change for me was just working on that and working on that but then it was also just making things i would make every weekend not every weekend but you know most weekends i would have friends over and we would just make up a movie like a 20 minute movie and we just shoot it and then as you uh, cut it together, you'd kind of see what didn't work, what worked, and what was fun, what, what wasn't working, what, how the effects looked. Do they have titles? Yeah. Like, uh, I made a movie called Nerds Night Out. It was a bunch of... We just put everybody in, like, fake, like sunglasses with the lenses popped out and tape. Well, where are these movies now? <laughs> Hopefully... 
they're not readily available. A lot of my backyard opuses are not available. You can find uh, a backyard movie I did called Head Cheese, which was 60 Minutes. Uh, you can find that on Amazon Instant. I, uh, I did put that one up there because it was long enough. I figured, eh, why not? And it's, I mean, but it's, it's, you know, it's just me in my backyard, like running around with friends. But it has some semblance of a story, and it has some semblance. What of year was things. that? That was two thousand and two or three. Does anybody watch it? I don't. Uh, I think it's probably rented like twice. <laughs> wow. Okay. But it cost me nothing to put it up, so right, I, I right. figured, why not? But you don't, you don't have your early stuff on YouTube. I do not. That's I might one day, but like I kind of, I'm kind of a little embarrassed of it because, uh, in my opinion, you know, I deliver pretty high quality stuff now, so like it kind of makes me queasy to like show people what yeah, I. Yeah, you're probably correct. You probably you go with your gut instinct. Yeah, it makes makes me a little queasy. So, but so then I made my first feature when I was uh, when I was 18 called Marty Jenkins and the Vampire Bitches. How old were you? I was uh, 18 years old going into 19. Okay. Marty Jenkins and Vampire Bitches, which you can rent on Amazon Instant, which does very well on there. I think it's just because vampires in the title, right? Uh, but it's a horror comedy, and uh, you know I, I had a good time making it. I learned so much from it, and if I remember correctly, that's how I got on your radar, Mike. Is that right? Because I sent you a copy. And uh, you watched it, and you gave me very, very clear criticism. Okay, that's good. Which I needed. It did not get a wide release, but I did release it myself, and it right. made its money back over time. Um, and uh, shortly after you saw that, uh, we met at a convention, and, and I'd say within a year of that, I was working for you. So Yes. And working uh, for you, Mike, was probably the biggest change, because I, anything I did had more scrutiny which is necessary. Uh, I would. I often say that uh, my time at Alternative Cinema was my college. Oh, very nice. Be, except that you know I didn't have to pay for it, which was nice. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I learned uh, to have a higher standard of quality, and I worked a lot with uh, Joe Colbeck, and Joe Colbeck has a very high standard of quality. Uh, so he taught me a lot about lighting and editing as well. So it was a great learning experience uh, being here, and and also learning how the distribution business works. Right. Which is a thing a lot of people don't have a grasp on. You know, I mean, and and you know, I got to work, the, you know, the the whole uh, range of jobs. You know, I worked in marketing, I did post production stuff, I worked in the mailroom occasionally. You know, and I learned I learned how uh, you know things are you know how uh, shipping and receiving works. I learned how uh, direct marketing works. And those things all gave me a much better understanding of what I was doing. And would, then I just had to go out and do it. Would you recommend to someone who's just starting out for them to get a job at a small label? Sure. If you can get a job or an in- I had an internship originally and I got hired on full time. Um, I, would, I would recommend it. Any, getting any kind of job or internship where uh, you're going to have a boss whose uh, eye is toward quality will be good for you. At the time, it may not feel that great right. to be told like you're not doing a very good job. But the reason they're telling you that, I mean, if they if they thought you just couldn't, they would they wouldn't say you're not doing a very good job. They'd say you're fired. I think that's very interesting when you mention about quality because someone listening may get a chuckle out of that because they may think of all the films that are produced at alternative cinema, pop cinema, as complete crap, and. We're not talking about content. Yeah, we're not talking about su- subjective things. We're talking about, like, is the footage right. too grainy? Like, is the audio over right. out blown we're out? We're talking about can a movie uh, meet quality standards so it could be broadcast. Exactly. And that's of all the movies that we carry. And when you worked here, only the only a select few are applicable for actual broadcast, yeah. which has evolved over the years into now, which is digital. But still... 
the, the, the bigger companies for water distribution will still uh, scrutinize for, for quality. Sure. So that's, I think, something that someone could learn early on what, 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 you know, what, what working for a company. If, I think if you're a camera person, I, th- I guess you could also work at like a, like a facility, like a telecine facility or sure. a technical facility. Yeah, or, or even doing corporate work. I mean, yes. the biggest thing is to make sure that you're doing work and having somebody who's done it longer look at it and somebody who knows what they need to deliver. You know, I was really lucky because I was, I was working here and, and the type of product you guys were, were putting out stuff was what I wanted to do. So I learned, I didn't have to like shift what I was learning to apply to what I needed. I was already learning what I wanted to know, which was right. you know, uh, making these productions. So uh, after I left Alternative Cinema, um, I actually, while I was still working here, I started shooting Faces of Schlock. Okay. But we completed it after I'd left. When I showed it to you, you uh, you decided to distribute it. And that was kind of, that was the beginning of uh, the majority of my work getting distributed. And Faces of Schlock's quality jump was very high. I had brought on very talented people, very talented crew. Uh, and I think we delivered a pretty high quality picture and it, it, you know, it got good distribution. It got out there quite a bit and I'm very happy with it. And from there, it just, you know, the big thing was to set the bar high and, uh, and to always obtain it. Where did you go when you left AC for employment? I actually was unemployed for a really long time. Okay. Um, for almost a year. I actually ended up working a mall job to kind of get out from under myself. And you can get away with that shit because you were in your early 20s yeah, and you can just like young. crash with a relative or something. Exactly. Okay. Just crash, crash at the, you know, my sister's house. Right. What happened was uh, eventually I, uh, I made another movie called Bleeding Through, which you also ended up licensing and distributing. Right. Also another kind of very high quality. It was more of an art house movie. I was, I was actually really flattered you guys put it out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we'd had, we'd, I think we'd all had a good experience with Faces coming out. You know, it was, it was definitely not a, uh, a failure by any stretch. We did, you know, we released Bleeding Through, and uh, I started working at... Um, a cable access station for a little while. That was where I was getting, you know, my daily paychecks. And I also got to spend more time immersed in video. What do they do at a cable um, access station? It depends on the job. Like, uh, our access station was more focused on volunteer-driven media. So it was about, like, training and troubleshooting. So, like, people would come in and start editing on the Avid and be like, ah, the Avid's broken, you know, and you look and go, ooh, I don't know what that error code means, and you try to fix the Avid so right. they can get back to editing their show. Teach classes in, like, Adobe Premiere and, and, and uh, how to, like, you know, set the F-stop on a camera. It's very like much, that. sounds very much like hands-on stuff. It is. The which only, gets you experience. Yeah, the only negative was that, like, unlike a professional job, like, quality wasn't king because it's cable access. You know, you would teach everybody, like, this is how you should set up the camera, this is how you should set up the gain, but then, I mean, they just, like, flip it on auto if they want to. So, you don't, and that's not your concern. So it did, sometimes I felt really disenfranchised with that element, that, like, quality didn't matter. But... While I was doing that, I mean, I made a lot of movies. Uh, I made I made a movie called Depression, the movie, which is like an indie comedy. It's done very, very well for me just independently. Uh, I did a movie, uh, Babysitter Massacre, which uh, you produced, uh, which, uh, you know, has gotten out there pretty well so far. I did um, a family movie called A Bulldog for Christmas, which is uh, uh, doing pretty well so far. Uh, I did another horror picture for you called Haunted House and Sorority Row. And then I did a movie, man, I, like when I'm counting them on fingers, I'm like, wow, this is a lot. Did a movie I shot in March called Awkward Thanksgiving that was funded on Kickstarter. Right. Um, it's just about complete and ready to, to be taken care of. And then I just wrapped, like three or four days ago, a, a horror anthology called Scare Waves, which Mr. Rasso is also producing. Once you set your quality standards and stay to them, 
you know, you don't step backwards as long as you keep that you keep that strict. And you know, and things have only gotten more strict. Like uh, you and I were talking just in the car about uh, my bulldog movie, my family movie. It's you know getting looked at by distributors, and like it had to, it went through a professional quality control. Right. And you know they sent me a list, and I was very lucky. Like I had almost nothing to fix. I had like three things to fix. It took me twenty five minutes. Very lucky. What kind of fixes would you have to make? There were a few things. There were a few things that were erroneously regarded as glitches. So like there were one or two things where they were like you know audio's out of sync, and we had to go. Actually, that's a voiceover. But then the big things were like I had left in. I didn't realize it, but I had left in a clipped audio. Like somebody screamed, oh, okay. and I had turned it down, but I didn't realize that the actual waveform was clipped. So I had to go in and dub in a new voice. There was a shot where they deemed the lens flare too much. Okay. So I cut. I had to cut around that a little bit, but mainly sound. Like if if uh, like oh, in one scene uh, they felt that the. Uh, the background, the ambient noise faded too abruptly, so I had to go in and smooth it even more and okay. make it a little bit nicer. So it was things like that, very nitpick, very simple stuff. But I was very lucky. You know, I shot it on a very nice camera with very nice lenses, so I mean, I wasn't worried about them saying like this is too grainy or this is pixelated or anything like that. I knew the compression was fine. But you know, you you gotta if you're gonna if you're gonna make movies and you're gonna get them out. Uh, as far as possible, you know, because you may sign a distribution deal and and somebody say like, well, we're definitely going to put it on DVD, but we don't know what else is going to happen. But as long as it's possible that it can go on Netflix because it can pass their quality standards, yep. then it might. At least it can. At least you can never say never. But if it's you know if it's too grainy or if the audio is all messed up, it's never going to go. And that's important, you know, to uh, to set that goal. So I mean, I recommend if you want to make movies uh, and try to eke a living, you've got to set your quality standards really, really high. Right. Um, no matter what budgets you're working with, if you're making a movie for a hundred bucks, you need to make sure that every other movie that's made for a hundred bucks, you are in the top three of picture quality and audio quality. You know, it, it seems like you've sort of lately decided that it seems like the path you're going now is that you're making like at least a film a year. Uh, I've actually been making two films a year. So that's qu- I mean that's quite a commitment. You don't ever seem to be disappointed by worrying, you know, if a film's going to be successful. Uh, you seem very committed to making the actual movie. Yeah. And you had mentioned to me that you work with other people. Mm-hmm. So you may work with someone else to get them to write the script, or yes. you may have someone else edit your production. Why is that? Well, uh, number one, collaboration is the key to better work. Okay. Experience and collaboration are the two keys. That's why, like, I can I can knock I've knocked out two movies now, and it's you know it's August. You know, I've knocked I've not I've shot two movies and one's posted, and it's August. I, I could definitely get one more out this year. Take one more on at least. When you bring on editors, you know, obviously you bring on an editor, it frees you up to spend more time worrying about producing. It frees you up to spend more time worrying about directing. Frees you up to spend more time, you know, uh, worrying about the next project. I love the collaborations because when I when I work with a screenwriter, they write a script I wouldn't have written. Okay, and that's important because I mean, you collaborate I, with them on the idea. Yeah, Haunted House and Sorority Row is a great example. Very proud of that movie. I worked with a guy named John Oakdale. Dalton, a very, very talented screenwriter. He, he and I got in touch, and I was like, I have this movie, Haunted House and Sorority Row, and at the time, I think, uh, I think right, that was when I was talking to you about making it with you. Do you want to uh, take a shot at the script? And he said, yeah, that sounds fun. So we talked on the phone for like two hours, three hours. I gave him the beats of what I really wanted and what I needed. Uh, and then he, uh, he wrote me a treatment first, um, and then eventually a screenplay. Uh, I did the screenplay was so good in my opinion that I just I did the rewrites myself because I was like I don't need to give him the notes it's so simple it's like little things you know like well we don't have a bathroom big enough for this we got to move it to a blah you know right it was it was it, and, and it was little things or like you know polishing dialogue to what I prefer 
you know, how I prefer it would sound. Right. Things like that, personal choice things. Things that directors always do to scripts when they do when they, you know, rewrite them a little bit. And uh, it was a great experience. You know, because while he was doing the script and everything, I was worried about the cast. I was worried about the locations. I was worried about allocating the funds. I was worried about getting the special effects ready. So I got to focus better on being a producer and director. And that's the same way when that was also the first film feature film I did where I had an editor that was not me. And it was the same thing. Like as soon as the movie was done, I got to focus on uh, the next project, which ended up being Awkward Thanksgiving. Now so. people, I mean, it's a fact. People edit in their homes these days, right? Absolutely. So you will go over to your editor's house and sit in his living room or a spare room mm-hmm. and it'll be like an editing you know area yeah the unheard of you know 15 years ago literally because we both at the time we were both editing on final cut seven right so we both i that was the other reason i felt comfortable hiring because i was like well if he does any damage uh, you know it's i can just open up the file and start editing you know and change it. i've edited a bunch of features so well, you were actually worried about that i wasn't worried he would like destroy the movie i was just worried that i wouldn't like some of his choices and i did do the polish edit yet just like the screenplay i did the polish edit right um but i would say that you know the screenplay and the edit like they were both I probably redid less than 10%. I think an editor can bring uh, a lot to someone else's vision because the eyes is, is so important. Because you get too close to it and I think many times I see filmmakers they actually leave too much in. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and they, they don't worry, you know, uh, the third the third party will come in and have a fresh perspective and keep a better eye on pace, which is super important. And well, and since I since I pride myself now on having an eye for for you know, making sure the quality bar is set high, I really like that I hand my movie off to an editor, and uh, I go away and do whatever I'm doing for like three weeks, four weeks, or however long he needs. He shows me the picture edit, and then the picture edit is fresh to me. Right. So I can be like, this needs to be shorter. This should be this should be different. This should be yada yada. You know, and, and then uh, I give him notes. He'd fix those in a night or two, hand it over to me again, and I go, that is good enough for me. And then he hands it to me, and I handle all the final finishing. The things that the QC that I was mentioning, like I do the sound mixes myself. I do the, uh, I do the coloring myself. So, because those are things I'm really, par- I'm like, I really keep those close to me because uh, I have a lot of experience. But I love it. And actually on Awkward Thanksgiving, we ended up having uh, something come along and pull our, because I was going to write, direct, and edit. And we had something come up that um, made us need to get it done way faster. So I actually ended up bringing, uh, my editor's name's Eric Whiting. I ended up bringing Eric Whiting in, and we cut that movie together. So, like, if I was really busy with something else, because I was, I, I forget what I was busy with, but I was, it might have been Scarewaves, I think, the, the movie. Um, I would hand him the hard drive, and he'd just plug it into his MacBook Pro, and he'd edit for, like, a day or two. And then he'd be like, I'm busy for two days, so I would take it, and I'd edit. And we would just choose what, we had it, like, listed what scenes we were each doing. Right. So we never touched each other's scenes until the end. But that made the movie get cut together really fast. I mean, really fast. And I still had a day job at that point, so it's hard. To, to make it all yeah, fit, yeah. you know, make it all fit. So uh, name like the last batch of movies that you've produced. Uh, sure. Uh, Scare Waves was my most recent, uh, mm-hmm. which just wrapped Principal. And then Awkward Thanksgiving, which uh, we just wrapped Picture Edit. and the. What's that about Awkward Thanksgiving? Awkward Thanksgiving is like a, um, <laughs> it's like a raunchy comedy uh, movie about a uh, Thanksgiving dinner. And, and do you use the whole crowdfunding, which is Kickstarter or Indiegogo, to raise money? To make your movies? It depends on the movie. Ideally, I would like to do crowd, a crowdfunded movie like once a year. Right. What because, is the purpose of that? Because there are movies I have ideas for that I know are not, at least not immediately marketable. Right. Uh, you know, I come up with a babysitter massacre. We could put that picture together. You know, like it's, we, we can find an audience for that. Awkward Thanksgiving, people weren't so sure. 
You know, like I didn't have any way to make it other than myself. So what I do is I have this wonderful groundswell uh, audience that I, I adore. I tell them like, hey guys, uh, you know, I know, you know, remember Babysitter Massacre? Remember uh, Depression in the Movie? All these things. I'm like, well, I want to do something new that's different. And uh, I want to see if you guys would help me make it. And they, uh, they did. Wow. So I've done two. I did a Bulldog for Christmas crowdfunded because I just had no clue. I'd never made a family movie. I was like, can I even do this? And how is the support? Uh, amazing. I mean, you meet your goals. Yes, uh, I've actually. Uh, I mean, I set my goals at very reasonable amounts because I have all my equipment. So all I need is the money for like the food for the crew and the props and whatever else. Bulldog for Christmas. The I set the goal insanely low. I just wanted to make it. So it was like sixteen hundred bucks, but we we made thirty four hundred dollars. Right. Uh, awkward Thanksgiving. We set the goal at twenty four hundred dollars, which was like enough for me to shoot the whole schedule and just be tight. And that was uh, that raised sixty five hundred. So I set realistic goals. I get a little bit more than I expect. Like on Awkward Things, we were able to buy props and equipment. Uh, we were able to buy a dolly track. I now have dolly scenes in my right. movies because, you know, I just – every movie you get a little bit more gear. So, uh, you know, I think that the production value on the last – on Awkward Thanksgiving Scarewaves are insanely high because we've got nice dolly shots mm-hmm. and, and proper map boxes and rail systems connected to the camera. Right. And everything looks excellent. So I'm very happy with it. I try to be really respectful. Like I don't want to be one of those people who's running a crowdfunding campaign every two or three months. I'm not asking people to constantly give me a ton of money. I'm saying like, hey, if you like my movies, you know, grab Babysitter Massacre at FYE for 15 bucks. Grab Haunted House and on Amazon, rent it for $3.99 or whatever. I'm asking for that. And then once a year, I'll say like, hey, this thing I think is going to be really special. Do you guys want to jump on? And so far, the response has been absolutely. And people get involved and donate funds because it's fun? I think so. I remember uh, we met our goal on Awkward Thanksgiving the first day. Oh, okay. And That's it, interesting. It became like a sports thing because uh, I started getting posts on my wall constantly. People were going like, oh my God, we're going to make it. Like, we're going to make it today. Right. And these are people that are like friendly people I know all over the country who I, you know, they're not, I don't know them that well. And they're like, it's a sports team to them right. now. Well, what happened was we were like $300 from our goal and then uh, a gentleman uh, jumped in and put a thousand dollars in. Oh my so, goodness! So like all of a sudden it was like, oh my god, look at it now! And I was yeah, like, yeah. Holy crap! Somebody somebody bought that uh, that perk. <laughs> what could you recommend to folks out there who would consider using uh, crowd? Funding. Um, I would say that I mean I'm literally reiterating the things Kickstarter tells you on their website, but honestly, be aware Kickstarter is not a pool of investors just swimming around looking for anything they can put their money into. Kickstarter is a conduit, a conduit for people from social media to contribute money to causes. You need to think about your social media reach. Right. The people who are gonna be giving a Kickstarter are the people who you know on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, etc. etc. Those are the people who are your backers and your friends and your family. And do you think People go and contribute because they'll look at it and say, let's face it, all of us, when we're consuming media, all of us look at it and say, well, what's in it for me? Does someone getting something out of it, like, hey, I contribute, I get a DVD, I get a producer credit, people are getting something out of it, yes? Absolutely. Uh, I, I hate when people say donate. When it's Kickstarter, I always say contribute because okay. donate okay. is this idea that you know, you're giving away money. You're buying something. The perk is something. And, and uh, that's one thing that's really been important I've learned lately is that um, value is subjective. You know, one guy might be, like, might, be in, might be like, oh my God, awkward Thanksgiving. I want to see that movie. But he might be like, oh, I'll just get 25 bucks for a DVD. But then another guy might be like, oh my God, I want $100 so my name is an associate producer. So to them, that associate producer credit is worth 100 bucks 
bucks or more. But to another guy, he might be like, I just want to watch it. It okay. just depends on the level of excitement and yeah. enthusiasm. So what you do is you give people an opportunity to, if they want to carry a little bit more of the uh, production budget weight, they mm-hmm. can. But if they don't want to, they can still just buy a DVD. So, you know, it's low pressure. I mean, we had we had 14 people contribute $100 for associate producer credits. And that feels pretty good. Absolutely. That 14 people wanted to put 100 bucks yeah. on. When they could have just put 25 And it's because they wanted to see the movie get made and they wanted to be a part of it. And, uh, you know, and there would be no awkward Thanksgiving. Well, and I think it's my best movie. I think this is good information. Thank you. I think this is great information for people out there listening who make movies, who want to make movies. And, of course, if you have any questions for myself or for Henrik, I'll yeah. be more than happy to pass it along or get you on, like, a phone connection sure. on a future podcast. If you have questions about independent, low-budget filmmaking, uh, you could direct that to podcast at alternativecinema.com. I'll be more than happy to feel those questions. And uh, I look forward, Henrik, to having you back on sometime in the future. Absolutely. To kind of just pick up where we left off to say, oh, you know, where, you, where are you at now? How did it go with scare waves, which I've been calling shock waves? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, you know, to see what you're working on next. Because I'm guessing that within the next few years, you're going to probably continue to make movies. I'm guessing also record another album. Yeah. Uh, Henrik also has albums, which. If you, uh, is uke or die still? Uh, yeah, uke U-K-E or O-R, die, 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 D-I-E, <laughs> You'll see all your albums. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you can also find them on iTunes or uh, Amazon MP3. Uh, Spotify has them too. So if you're a Spotify user, you can kind of find my stuff for free. Right. Technically. Um, uh, yeah, I'm out there. And I, 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 I'm very excited because I've never been able to focus my energy so much. Right in my whole life, and now that I am, like I said, I'm too deep in August. So right. you know, I think I got, I think I got at least two more movies in me, honestly, for this year. I think so. Uh, two. I think so. It's August. I know. Two more. Wow. wow. You, the, the the big thing is, you know, you just make the movie you can make at the time. Right. So if you have X amount of money and X amount of time, what's the best movie you can make with that time and money? So you know, if you have like four days and not a lot of cash, uh, set it in a haunted house. Indeed. Indeed. You know, it's all problem solving. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Henrik is a problem solver, which is why I, I definitely encourage you folks to write in. Maybe he has a problem that you could he could you could solve. Hey, I usually charge for that, but I do it people, free for AC Podcast. People will be like, "Hey, man, I need some money." <laughs> so <laughs> I haven't had that much yet. Lately. So uh, I want to thank everyone for listening, and uh, we'll see you really soon. We'll go out with uh, one of Henrik's songs. I'd love that. As a matter of fact, uh, very quickly, Henrik Kudo, last night, uh, before we recorded, uh, I brought Henrik over to the Smooth, S-M-O-O-V-E, the Smooth Sailors Rehearsal Space in Jersey City, New Jersey. Yeah, scenic Jersey City. Jersey. Oh, yes. And it was a blast, right? Oh, I had such a good time. That was th- Those guys are so talented. They, uh, they jammed on one of my songs with me, and I was blown away. Really good time. Uh, and the song is Porno is a Lie. That's true. <laughs> Which we're going to play in a, in a second. Awesome. And when you walked in there, were you amazed at the amount of instruments they had? Uh, it was like, it was better than some music stores. It was like a music store, yeah, right? It was, it was like a music store. So you were able to pick something off the shelf, so to speak. I picked up this amazing vintage ukulele, and he just let me play it. I was like, I, I can't believe I can hold it. Like, right, right. It was awesome. It was so cool. Well, we're going to see everyone next time. Uh, do remember to go to the new website, alternativecinema.com. Uh, your purchases there help keep indie filmmaking alive, keep this podcast on the digital airwaves, 
And let's listen to Henrik in his jam session with the Smooth Sailors. Porno is a lie. Yeah. Ha, ha, ha. 